Please open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Yes, Psalms. He didn't say Acts. Can you believe it? (laughs) Applause. Oh, man. Okay, actually turn to Acts. No, I'm... Two weeks ago, we finished uh, the first part of the book of Acts, and I thought we would use this natural break in Acts to take a short summer break ourselves from the series in Acts, clear our heads a bit with something a little bit different. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to do a mini-series, if you will, on the book of Psalms, sort of a, a summer Psalms series, which is really fun to say three times really fast. Go ahead, try Okay, you work on that. If that helps you remember it, it's a tongue twister. Summer Psalm series. I've been working on it. I couldn't get to three. One is the most I can do. This morning, I'm going to introduce the book of Psalms. And then for the next few weeks, I've asked several different speakers to come and share just what's on their heart about a particular psalm with all of us. You can see the schedule for the next few weeks at least up on the screen. And you've got a job, you've got an assignment, you've got homework. Each week, your homework is to read through the upcoming psalm for the following Sunday a few times. So this week, what psalm are you going to be reading? Very good. Psalm 73. Next week, 44. You are sharp this morning. Must be that honey. Do you want to know what the honey's for? Yeah, I know you do. I'm not going to tell you yet. Everyone I asked, did you get your honey yet? Everybody reacts the same way. No, and they won't even take it. No, what do we need that for? Is that what you do at Christmas? Someone get here. Have it. What's that for? So hopefully you took your honey. You get the idea for the Psalm series. I think you will find, I know you will find, any time that you spend in Psalm 73, for example, ahead of time preparing your hearts, it will benefit you and all of us greatly in praise and worship before we get to church on Sunday. So please do that, will you? And then, once you're again so hungry for Acts, you can hardly stand it, we will set sail with Paul and Barnabas in August to the ends of the earth. And if you think we've covered some pretty fun and fantastic stories so far in Acts, wait till you see the further adventures of the Apostle Paul. This morning, though, the Psalms... The Psalms have always played a central part in the lives of God's people. For 3,000 years, in fact, the praises and prayers of God's people have been grounded in the Psalms. Those two words, in fact, praises and prayers, describe the contents of the Psalms. The word Psalms, for you Greek scholars, is Greek in origin. Psalmas means one song. Psalmoi means more than one, praise songs. And then that word psalterion or psalter, some of you remember the word psalter, it's a collection of praise songs is what it literally means. Now that word psalms also carries with it in the word the idea of those songs being sung to music. So the Greek verb salo actually means to pluck. Not, not like plucking a chicken, but like plucking a string on an instrument. The Greek word psalm might be a translation from the Hebrew word mizmor. Say mizmor. You all spoke Hebrew this morning. Good job. Mizmor means song sung to musical accompaniment. 
And then there are two other Hebrew words, tehillim, say tehillim. Good. And tefalot, say tefalot. Good. Those words mean praises and prayers, respectively. And they've been associated with the Psalms for a long, long time. And those two words get us back to where we started, introductorily at least. not sure if that's a word. When you think Psalms, think praises and prayers. And you have a good idea what this book of Psalms is all about. Did you know that the book of Psalms is actually divided into five books? Each book ends in a doxology, a brief note of praise to God. Many of you know that Torah, Torah, also called the books of Moses or the books of the law, is also divided up into five books, right? Genesis through Deuteronomy. And many believe that's why Whoever the editor was that put all of these psalms together in one place, many believe that's why that editor divided it into five books, to sort of echo and honor even the form of Torah, God's law. We'll talk about the relationship between psalms and Torah a little bit later this morning. There are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms. But did you know, has it ever occurred to you, that those are not the only psalms in the Bible? Moses and his sister Miriam sing a psalm to the Lord in Exodus 15, praising God after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Hannah, Samuel's mom, prays a psalm in 1 Samuel 2 after she dedicates Samuel to God. Isaiah 38 contains a psalm of Hezekiah. Remember King Hezekiah? He sings a psalm thanking God after he nearly dies from an illness. Now the psalm that wins the award for being prayed in the strangest place ever would have to be the psalm that Jonah prays from the inside the fish that swallowed him. You'll find that in Jonah too. And then the delightfully ironic psalm award goes to the psalm that Mary sings. Mary praises God with a psalm even while she's pregnant with Jesus, with God himself growing inside her. I was wondering this week, I wonder when Mary sang the Magnificat where she directed her praise, right? My soul glorifies the Lord, (laughs) and my spirit rejoices in God our Savior. That's irony, okay? You can look it up. There are... Many more examples. God's people often let loose with a psalm, especially during intense times, either of intense joy or intense sorrow. Many efforts have been made to classify the psalms by different types. The two biggest categories of psalms are praise and thanksgiving, and the second one, lament or complaint. And each of these two categories breaks down in turn to individual or communal. That is, either one person or the entire community is doing the praising or complaining. The most common type of psalm, sometimes people are surprised to learn, is the lament, the complaint type. About a full one-third of the psalms are in that category. And really, after the two sort of introduction psalms, the royal psalm, Psalm 2, and before it, Psalm 1, the book of psalms as a whole It moves, it breathes, but it moves from lament 
to praise through its 150 chapters. The final five psalms are all framed by the expression, praise the Lord. And so, overall, the book of Psalms leads worshipers through grief and to thanksgiving. Now, you want to know what the honey's for? I'm not going to tell you yet. As part, as part of our praise and worship this morning, what I'd like to do is just to read together kind of a sampling of some of these different types of psalms. Would you do that with me, please? If you would please stand, if you're able, and then uh, let's read together just some excerpts from a couple of different types of psalms, just to give you a feel. First one we've got is that individual lament. Tell it's individual because, you know, there's singular pronouns like I and me in there. See, you know, don't be a rocket scientist to follow this. So let's try Psalm 13, 1 through 4 together. And I invite you to read it as a lament. And for us, sometimes in church where we don't want to speak because it's just someone might hear us. um, Please, I invite you, if you wish, if the Holy Spirit moves you to read it as a lament. This is a complaint, a crying out to God. Okay? Can we do it together? Let's go. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my, rejoice, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Do you feel a, the lament in that psalm? How about the next one? Here's an individual praise song. Psalm. You ready? I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Next time, here's a community lament. This is for more than one person as we are this morning. Let's try it. Oh, Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You've fed them with the bread of tears. You've made them drink tears by the bowlful. You've made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we might be saved. Last one. Let's end on a note of communal praise. Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We've escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There are other types of psalms as well. 
pick up any resource. Some have like 20 some types. I've given you the most common. Two of the more common remaining ones are the so-called royal psalms, and then there are wisdom psalms. And remember, however you classify psalms, remember one psalm can fit into more than one category. So, for example, there'll be lament and praise sometimes woven together in a single psalm. As far as the authors of the psalms are concerned, technically, we don't know for sure who exactly sat down with their pen and wrote out the psalms. Now you say, wait a minute, because you know that about half of the psalms contain the note, Psalm of David. Or maybe it just says, of David. The response to that is, in Hebrew at least, the original language of the Psalms, that of part probably means concerning David, or dedicated to David, or attributed to David. Now, David himself may have indeed written, and he probably did actually write many of those Psalms, but it may be that uh, some of the priests, or someone that worked with David, or Someone in the community wrote those to sort of honor David in some way. We just don't know for sure. Several of the remaining psalms are attributed to people like Asaph, the sons of Korah, Jeduthun. Those folks were part of the temple choir. Did you know that the temple had a choir? It did. David appointed one. Solomon's name appears twice on two psalms. And probably the oldest psalm is Psalm 90 which is the only psalm in the book of Psalms attributed to Moses himself. How and when the psalms were used during Bible times is also debated. Hang with me. We're almost done with the introductory piece. I know there's a lot of information here, but hang with me. Many psalms contain various features that point to their use in worship in the temple or in the synagogues. Psalm 30, for example, says it was originally intended for the dedication of the temple when it first opened. Psalm 100, it says, was used for all of those thank offerings and sacrifices. There's a group of psalms called the Hallel Psalms, as in Hallelujah. They were recited during Passover. Maybe next Easter, I was already thinking it would be fun to do something with the Hallel Psalms as we celebrate uh, the Christian version of Passover Easter. There's even a group of psalms that various historical resources tell us were used for each day of the week. Some folks like to jot these down. It's not a magical formula or anything, but I invite you to write them down if you want to give it a try. Many believers throughout history have included, for whatever reason, these particular psalms in their daily devotions. That's kind of good. It gives you kind of a sampling, a broad sampling of God's book of psalms, you know, Sunday through Saturday. For those listening online who can't see the screen, the Sabbath, which in that day was Saturday, is Psalm 92. Sunday is Psalm 24. Monday, Psalm 28. I'm sorry, Monday, Psalm 48. Tuesday is Psalm 82. Wednesday is Psalm 94. Thursday, Psalm 81. And Friday is Psalm 93. What else? Do I know what the honey's for? Right, I'm not going to tell you. Many of the Psalms have what are called superscriptions. Say superscriptions. Job, you've all spoken English together this morning too. Good. 
doesn't seem like English. Those are those little notations, right, that are included in italics or in kind of in the margin in special print. Some of them, most of them right under the chapter number in your Bibles. We've already talked about the author's name, right, that Psalm of David. That appears in the superscription, kind of in italics. 116 out of the 150 Psalms have those little superscriptions, so 34 don't. One of the more common superscriptions that people often ask about is that word Selah that appears there. That word Selah shows up in the book of Psalms in italics, kind of in the margin, 71 times in 39 different Psalms. If you've got your Bibles today, go ahead and just flip and take a look as, as I talk about it to Psalm 46. Psalm 46, pretty short psalm, it has three of those 71 Selahs in it. Now you say, okay, what does Selah mean? Short answer is, we have no idea what it means. <laughs> Truthfully, the best educated guess is that maybe it's a pause. A pause for silent reflection, maybe a dramatic pause for emphasis before moving to the next portion of the psalm, and maybe a pause just for music uh, to carry the praise and worship um, on its own without the voices of the people, music only. I had one student once in class, after I told him that Selah might have been a spot for you know, a musical solo, he stands up, he shouts in class, Whoa, that's so cool. So Selah means drum solo. Cool. And you know, he might be right. Would not surprise me a bit. And you know what? That class never forgot that Selah meant drum solo. So if that helps you remember Selah, think drum solo. And who knows? They may have played drums during those breaks. Okay, enough introduction information for one morning at least. What I would like to do with the time we have left is to take a look at one of my favorite themes that runs throughout the book of Psalms. I mentioned earlier that the Psalms being divided into five books is probably a tribute to the five-book structure of Torah, the first five books of the Bible. One beautiful, breathtaking theme in the Psalms is how the Psalter how the book of Psalms refers to and makes use of Torah. We noted earlier that Psalms as a whole moves from lament to praise, from grief to thanksgiving. One thing I find kind of sad is that many Christians today might guess, you know, if Torah, the law, is referenced in the Psalms, you probably find that in the lament section, right? And not like the praising God section. But the opposite is true. Our attitude sometimes as Christians and maybe just as human beings, my attitude sometimes I know is, is, when, is when we hear that word law, all sorts of negative feelings come along with it. And we even talk about the first five books of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as if it was a real bummer that God's chosen people had to obey all those laws. Here's the interesting thing, though. God's chosen people didn't feel that way at all about Torah. They cherished the opportunity to obey. 
They were so profoundly grateful that God had given them the law. Torah meant hope. Torah meant God's love and mercy. God took His cherished chosen people out of Egypt, set them aside, we would say, made them holy, which means to set aside and make special. He took them out of Egypt, made them holy, and because He loved them so much, He gave them His own words. He gave them a guide for living as His chosen people. That word guide, by the way, in my opinion, far better English translation of the Hebrew word Torah than the word law. If only because that word guide, it more accurately carries with it the overwhelmingly positive attitude that the people had toward Torah. The positive, the gratefulness that they had that God had given them the honor of giving them His guide for living. We act sometimes as if God cursed those Jews by hanging that burdensome law around their necks. But the irony, again, is that the law was a blessing to the Jews. That's how God intended it. And that's how they felt about Torah, a huge blessing from God. And you can see that, that the Jews felt so deeply, humbly blessed that God had given them the law. You can see that beautifully and spectacularly in the Psalms. And you don't have to wait long. second verse of the book of Psalms says that those who are blessed delight in God's law. And they meditate on God's law day and night. That word meditate. Interesting note about the Hebrew word for meditate. In Hebrew, you wouldn't say meditate. You would say Hagah. Say Hagah. Good. Do you know what Hagah means? Okay, very. just checking. Now, it wasn't a trick question. In addition to meditate, that's the one thing with Hebrew. Hebrew is a very vocabulary, vocabulary poor language. So one Hebrew word we could probably translate into some of them 10, 20, 50 English words, because English has like a ton of words to choose from. So that word Hagah, it indeed means medicate. Good, uh, meditate, not medicate. Good translation of the word Hagah is meditate. But you know what Hagah also means? How many of you have watched on a nature channel um, or whatever type of channel and have seen a lioness take down that antelope and hunt down her prey. How many of you have seen? You know, we've all kind of seen that in passing, right? It's the kind of thing, even if you're in Sears and that's on the screen, you see, you've you got to stop a minute and you've got to watch that lioness take that animal down, right? When that lioness takes that animal down, she'll drag it to the pride or group of lions and the, those lions in community, that pride of lions will settle down for dinner, Right? And do you know what those lions do to that dinner, to that food? They hagah into it. Hagah also means growl and chew. And you could see where it might relate a little bit to the word meditate. But doesn't it bring something to that word meditate that maybe we normally wouldn't put there? The blessed 
man or woman hagaz into God's Word. I've scared the young children now. When's the last time that you've sunk your teeth into God's Word? I mean, picture-wise at least, that word Hagah says, the person who is blessed of God and by God, literally, at least their attitude and feeling toward Torah even, toward God's Word, is you want to even lick the pages. It's so good. It's like, oh, oh. And in community, those lions will spin because that animal's probably got to last them for a week or more. It's so valuable. They hagah into his word. And in English, we come up with meditate. Blessed is the man who thinks about God's word. Ah, we can do better than that, I think. Sink your teeth into God's word. Smack your lips over God's word. Chew it up. And eat it. Psalm 119, verse 105, calls God's Word, His law, a lamp for a feet, our feet and a light for our path. There you can see really clearly, right, this idea that God's law, Torah, is a guide. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the psalmist says in Psalm 94. The man you teach from your law. And in Psalm 105, read Psalm 105 one time, once, if you haven't before. Read it again. It's a great poetic summary of Abraham all the way through Joshua. And we read in 105 that the ultimate blessing of God bringing His people to the promised land, the why He did it, the point of it all for the Jewish people, was so that they could obey God's law there. Don't believe me? Look at the last few verses of that psalm. For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, the chosen ones with shouts of joy, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for. And why? Why did he do all this? That they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord! And check out Psalm 119. As a whole, if you've, if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead, take the time and, and, and turn to there while we're speaking of it. Psalm 119. We all, some of us know that, oh, Psalm 119, that's the one that you never want the teacher to say, this week we're going to memorize Psalm 119. It's a whopping 176 verses. A couple of the cool things about Psalm, Psalm 119. One is it's an alphabetic acrostic. Did you know that? It has eight lines. Each verse is a line, so 176 lines, 176 verses. It has eight lines of verse beginning with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. Pretty cool, huh? Someone spent some time writing that thing, yes? <clears throat> so that's why there's 176 verses. I teach Bible, not math, but I think 22 letters times eight lines is 176. Some of you accountant types will let me know if I'm right after the service. Pretty cool, right? But that's not what I most wanted to share with you about Psalm 119 this morning. What I most wanted to share about is something that I didn't notice until this week. Did you know that every line, except one, every verse 
except one. In 175 out of 176 verses, there is a synonym for the word law. Did you know that? How cool is that? I mean, if you open up your Bibles to Psalm 119, I've got mine flipped open uh, at verse 17. Do good to your servant and I will live. I will obey your word. Next verse. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Next verse. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. Next verse. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Next verse. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Next verse. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Is he going to read all 176 verses? No. But you get the idea. You think that's a coincidence? See the love and the place of God's word? And whoever it was that wrote this psalm, indeed this book of psalms? Yeah, now you're all thinking, which is the one verse that doesn't compare, have the synonym for the word law, right? I'm not going to tell you. So that's your, add to your homework this week. You go find the verse that doesn't have the synonym for law in it. And then for my students, I'd say you get extra credit for West Bowles Church. I'll say, see Dave Beatty with the answer next week. He'll buy you some coffee in the coffee shop. <laughs> it's okay. He's got like a drawer full of these free tokens, so he's got to get rid of them somehow. So, Yeah, see Dave, I ratted out your drawer of free tokens. Sorry. Okay, now don't start looking now. Okay, I've got some more to say. I don't want to lose you for the rest of the service. What's the point? The point is, with such overwhelmingly and without exception positive references to God's law in the book of Psalms, you see the idea that the law of God, the guide of God, God's word, Scripture, is absolutely crucial to life and the witness of the believer. The Jews did not say, oh, bummer, God gave us this lousy 650. 13 requirements of Torah that we've got to follow. What a drag. They said, Woohoo, God, for the law! Praise to the Lord for the law! When do we get to start keeping the law? And from beginning to end, as the Psalter moves from lament to praise, from grief to thanksgiving, one key, one reason, one shining star that shows the way from lament to praise is the loving presence of God's guide, His laws and commandments. Now, please hear me. I am not saying that as Christians we need to obey Torah. Is that clear? As Paul says, we Gentiles, we non-Jews, are free from Torah with respect to all of those ceremonial sacrifices. Are we all glad we don't have to show up today and kill five or six or however many families, animals on some altar and sacrifice it? Are we glad we don't have to do that? Oh, praise God, we're free from that and those sections of ceremonial laws. Yes? Amen. And we are free from the law with respect to all those things in Torah, like circumcision, like sewing tassels on our coats, like eating only certain food, all of those cultural things in the law that makes someone Jewish. We don't have to become Jewish. We don't have to obey those laws anymore because of Jesus. And again, 
Isn't it nice that we don't have to do all of that stuff? It's a lot less to worry about. Amen? Praise God. But, and this is one of those big old buts, so don't miss it. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say we no longer have to obey the Ten Commandments. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say we no longer have to love God with everything we are and all we've got, does it? Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say we no longer have to love neighbors as ourselves. In fact, both the written word, Scripture, and the living word himself, Jesus Christ, tells us that we must love God and our neighbors. Amen? We still need to live morally obedient lives. And so for us today, I hope, the book of Psalms can be an amazing affirmation of the goodness and the delight that He has given us the opportunity to obey His Word. And I wonder sometimes, even though we don't have, we don't have to obey all those sacrificial laws, even though we don't have to obey all those laws that make someone Jewish, even though we have a lot less that God asks of us, even though we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that gives us a huge push, in fact, will do it all for us, even if we try a little bit, even though He's done all of that, even though He's simplified His law to love God and love others, are we even half as excited as the Psalms are about following God's guide for living? Do we wake up in the morning looking forward to obeying God? Do we react when temptation comes by saying, Aha! Nice try, sin! But no soup for you. It's for the Seinfeld fans. Do we delight when we say no to sin? I'm going to obey God. And yeah, that sure looks like it's going to feel good. And yeah, everybody else is doing it. And yeah, oh, what the harm. But you know what? I get to obey God's law. So no soup for you today, sin. I get to obey God's law. Where is that passion, brothers and sisters? Or does the idea of sticking to God's way of living tempt us, tend to bum us out because it so often gets in the way of what I want to do because it seems a better way to me or because I think it feels better? One reminder for me to try and to cherish ever more and more God's amazing Word, His loving guide for living, is Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is one of my favorites. Okay, now do you want to know what to do with a packet of honey? I'm going to tell you now. Good. Now, first of all, who doesn't have one? I know, because I was out there and I would try to hand them out. Did I bring the extra one down here? What did I do with my honey? Luther, did you eat all my honey? Oh, here it is. I know because I tried to hand them out, and people are like, well, what do we need that for? So who needs it? Come on. Every, thank you. Don't be shy. Ooh, almost got her. All right. Please, everyone have one. And if, you do, if I don't get to you, if there's someone next to you that you don't mind sharing with, <laughs> okay. Kids, kids didn't, you, you guys didn't take honey? How can that be? Oh, you need like five of them? There you go. 
Okay, who needs some more? Please, everybody have one? You all got them? Okay, thanks. Don't be shy. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you got one? Yeah, you put your hand up. Watch out. The honey's coming. Down in front. Okay. You should have seen, um, you should have seen the look on the shift manager's face at KFC when I asked for a thousand packets of honey. She gave me my biscuit and I said, could I have a thousand packets of honey? I said, it looks kind of dry. <laughs> you have some? Okay. I, I saw some more hands. Don't worry. What do you got to do today? Oh, nice. Over the shoulder grab. Sign her up. Broncos need her. Hey, Jean. You guys all have it? Oh, Courtney. I still got more. See if you get them both. Oh, nice. She caught it for you. Who else? You sure? You got it. He's showing it me. Okay, good. Okay. Now, what I would like you to do is to go ahead and take your honey packet and carefully tear off the corner. Now, I know, some of you are, are condiment packet challenged. So, before, you know, before you take that thing and go, ask your neighbor to help you if you are among the, you know, CPCs. Condiment packet challenge. Okay, everyone got now. Before we go one step further, I need you to solemnly promise and swear to dispose of your packets and your little corners in the trash receptacles on the way out. If you so swear, please say after me, we do solemnly promise. Okay. Did you know, did you know that God's Word has a taste? Did you know that according to the Bible, God's guide for living tastes like something? Now, take a wild guess what the Bible says God's law tastes like. Peanut butter. No, honey. And we've got Psalm 19 to thank for this delicious picture. Okay, now don't start eating your honey yet. Some of you in the back there, you're starting to haga into your honey packet. Don't do that yet. <laughs> Just wait, I'll let you know. Would you stand, please, as I read Psalm 19 with honey packet in hand, please? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Nefesh in Hebrew, reviving the desire, the will to live life to the fullest. Nefesh, 
soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. See the author playing with the sun picture? The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. And now is the time for the honey. Please take that corner of your packet and just at first at least... Just, oh, you know, tantalize yourself just a little bit. Just a little bitty, bitty drop, like right on the tip of your tongue. Just like a little bitty drop, right on the tip of your tongue. Okay, don't taste it yet. Keep it right on. Now, as I read, go ahead. Go ahead and taste that little drop. And then as I read, go ahead and squeeze some more in there, will you? The ordinances of the Lord are sweeter than honey. Come on, squeeze it in there. The ordinances of the Lord, the law of the Lord, Torah, God's guide for living, is sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Okay, now go ahead, haga into that honey packet, would you? Yeah, kids, I don't have to ask to do that. They're like, Ugh. okay, now let me hear your haggaying. Now, praise God. I mean, smack your lip. That's what God's Word tastes like. Oh, would our delight in God's Word, our meditating on God's Word, be like that. Mm. Oh, I can't wait. What's the next verse? Come on, God. Oh, what an amazing Word. Mm. I hope you never have honey in your life again and not remember that. By your ordinances is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the Haggah of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, forgive us for sometimes treating your word as an old, antiquated book of do's and don'ts that we don't have to worry about anymore because we're free from the law after all. Father, would you revive in us the same passion that your people from the beginning have felt. The same delight to Haggah into your word and to obey not because we have to, but because we get to because of what your Son Jesus Christ did on the cross. Would you revive that passion in us again today? Thank you so much for this amazing book that seemingly by chance is what Bibles just seem to open to when they're set on a table because it's in the middle. What a book to have in the middle full of poetry and picture and metaphor, 
and tastes and smells and even Haggai. Thank you, Lord, for that beautiful, wonderful attempt as the song that we sang before said to move us from just singing songs to acting them out in our love of God, our love of you, Father, and our love for others. May you find us faithful and true in our passion for you, Father. Father, please, I ask your blessing on all of these brothers and sisters here today. Bless them as they go. Keep them safe. Give them, Father, the humble guts to say to sin, no soup for you. Give them the humble guts to point to God even when the world even when the enemies mock them for it, would you give them that chutzpah? Would you give them that strength and courage as your guide ever with us and in us in the Holy Spirit and ever with us and in us in your holy word walks along with us every step of the way? It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Please, oh, praise God. Remember this week, read Psalm 73. And please, if you would like someone to pray with you, there are folks up front that are eager to make your acquaintance and to offer their prayers with you and for you. So don't be shy. Come on down and bring your honey. Honey packet, not your wife or husband. God bless you. Have a good day.